0: How's everybody doing? Hey, isn't, to me, worship is like a weekly reset, right? Kind of get focused back on the eternal, and uh, so thank you, worship team, for helping us kind of process and think through uh, eternity, right? So my name is Bill Kuhn. I serve at a little college up in the Twin Cities as the vice president and the campus chaplain been there 16 years, and I get the privilege occasionally to come down and chat with you about what God's up to and what the Bible says, and so we're privileged, I'm privileged to be here, and we're privileged to be together to think about what God is doing, and so that's awesome, and then, of course, we got a bunch of instruments on the stage. This is so fun for me because I'm a guitar player, and yes, these all belong to me, so this is awesome. So let me... Let me introduce you to my family, can I do that? Can we do, okay, let's do it. So way over here, and I know that some of you can't see, so I'm just gonna hold it up quickly, okay? So this is a Gibson L-48 from around 1950. It was my grandmother's, and then it kinda got passed down a little bit, and so I've inherited that this precious little jewel, it's, it's really sweet. Okay, this is a Gibson Les Paul, and some other time I'll come down and I'll plug it in or something and, and make it, uh, you know, Loud, okay. Because that one, that's what that guitar is supposed to do, is be loud. Okay, this is my grandfather's banjo. He was in a uh, gospel band that uh, that did a, traveled around in the Ohio Valley region, and he was uh, quite popular in that region back in the day, and I've got books that have his names in it, all that stuff, albums and tour buses, all that. But this is his banjo, and I play a little bit, a little bit, but not very much, so... Don't ask me questions about that. Okay, this is a PRS, this is kind of a Fender Strat style guitar that I've had for a couple years, and then this one way over here on this side, which looks like that Gibson Les Paul over there, but I promise this is not a Gibson Les Paul. I bought this in sixth grade in Sears, where all great instruments are purchased, Sixth grade in Sears, I'm walking through the store, and there she was in all of her beauty, and I said, Mom, I've seen those guitars on TV. I need to have it. It was $35, (laughs) yeah, and the case was $35, which probably says something about the guitar, doesn't it? Uh, Anyway, so I bought it, you know, $35 later, there it is. Played it for her, and there. By the way, just so you know, there is a little picture that I keep in the strings right here. That is me playing the guitar like in seventh grade, so you can come up and see, you know, cute little Billy over there. Okay. <laughs> so when I, when I show the guitars and when people talk about guitars, the question that comes to me sometimes is like, "What's your favorite?" Right? Because you've got several to choose from. What's your favorite guitar? And the answer is always the same. My favorite guitar is the next one. (laughs) Right? It's the one that I don't have that I want. That's my favorite instrument. Do you have a next one? In other words, do you have something that you just think, oh, if I could just get my hands on that, that will be my favorite. Or that will bring contentment or satisfaction. For so many of us, contentment is found in the next one. Maybe it's a beach house on a day like today (laughs) Maybe it's a beach house that you're you're longing for, and if you just could get the beach house. Or maybe it's a lake house. Or maybe it's just a house with an ensuite that you just think, if I could just get that, boy, I think I could really be joy-filled if I could have that one. Or maybe it's not a, a house or an extra house or a third house. Maybe it's transportation. Maybe what you would like is a Ferrari. Can I get an amen to that? If I could just have a Ferrari, and if anyone wants to donate one to me, I, I will find a way to get all my instruments home in the Ferrari. But maybe it's a Ferrari, maybe, no, that's too high a lofty, maybe it's just a Toyota Camry, you know, maybe it's coming, maybe it's a Chevy, down, okay, maybe it's just rust-free transportation, that, you're, that if I could just get that one, I could be content. Maybe it's enough to pay this month's bills. Maybe it's a dishwasher that works. What's the next one for you? See, we get trapped into thinking that there's a material solution for all of our ills. Culture has saturated us with appeals, advertisement that's meant to arouse our desire for more to convince us that we're not in content until we have the next one. Can I encourage you to pay attention to the commercials? Companies pay thousands and thousands of dollars to put advertisement on television and radio, and so they do their homework, their research about us, the consumer. What's interesting is you pay attention to those Commercials, you'll find actually very little information about the product that's being sold. Why? Because we don't buy based on the qualities of the product. We buy based on impulse and positive brand reputation. And the ads are really there to stir up desire. And once they stir up the desire, the hook is set. Starting last week, we began exploring God's wisdom found for us in the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs, the wise and the otherwise journey. And we talked about how the book of Proverbs is like a GPS that kind of gives us directions through life, telling us where to stop, when to exit, how to and when to yield in life. And you may be surprised to know that God has a lot to say about money, about possessions, about provision, about wealth. In fact, Jesus spends more time talking about money than he does on heaven and hell. And while we don't like to talk about it, God has something to say about it. It's important for us to tune our ears to what God might say to us. And so what I wanna do is kinda uncover some biblical life principles found in the book of Proverbs and in other places in the Bible. And we've talked last week about how Proverbs are these short sayings based on long observations. So friends, while we look at these principles, be reminded that there's a lot of wisdom in here. Now, when we read the Bible, sometimes it's hard to understand what the Bible means. And that's the challenge of the text. But that is not going to be our challenge tonight, friends. It's not going to be our challenge today. The challenge today is to live the message of this book. We will understand it, but will we lean into living it? So what are the principles found here, the wise sayings the proverbs, those exit ramps and, and stop signs and yield signs that we need as it relates to wealth, prosperity, and money. Here's the first one Money is a gift from God. Be grateful. Now, when I use the word money, I'm not referring to technically like cash or change in your pocket, I'm referring to provision. The things that you and I have that meet our needs. It is God who has gifted those things to us. Let's look at one of the Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 10. The book of Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22, says it this way. The blessing of the Lord brings wealth. The blessing of the Lord brings wealth. It's helpful for us. I think it's good for our soul to stop and realize that our material needs are met by God and not by our ingenuity, our entrepreneur acumen, not our sharp skills, that our jobs provide a means by which God can provide for his people. Jobs are important. In fact, if you look through the book of Proverbs, one of the things you find is that God uses our labor to bring provision to our lives. That's how God ordained it to be. That's a good thing. But the Bible is clear that it's not the labor, the job that is providing our needs. It is God who brings the wealth to our lives. Years ago, a friend of mine, Uh, was telling me the story of his son who had walked out of the house, kind of stormed out in anger and moved away from the family. But he began to struggle in life and was struggling particularly to pay the bills. And so he reached back out to mom and dad and said, hey, could you help with this? And mom and dad sent him a Bible with a note on the front that said, uh, Philippians 4, verse 13. Well, the son got the Bible and didn't turn to that passage and just kind of threw the Bible aside and some weeks had passed. And finally, he went back, picked up the Bible, and turned to Philippians chapter four. And there in chapter four, his mom and dad had put an envelope and had gifted him all the money he needs to meet his needs. Now, don't you want to know what Philippians 4 verse 19 says? Here's what it says. And my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. My God will meet all of your needs. God is able to meet all your needs for clothing and shelter and food. And the Bible is clear that God is the one who gifts these things to us. Or Listen to this verse in 2 Corinthians. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Do you see all the alls in that verse? Here's a cascade of abundance, a God who is able to provide for our every need and Provide in a way that overflows so that we can splash our gifts onto others. Notice in the verse that the the intent is not that God would bless us so that we can hoard items, but so that we can release them for good works. That's not how many of us live our lives. Popular author And Professor Brene Brown describes how most people think about life. Here's how she describes how many people approach life. Quote, For many of us, the first waking thought of the day is, I didn't get enough sleep. The next one is, I don't have enough time. Whether true or not, that thought of not enough occurs to us automatically before we even think to question or examine it. We spend most of our hours and the days of our lives hearing and explaining and complaining and worrying about what we don't have enough of. Before we even sit up in the bed, before our feet touch the floor, we're already behind, we're already losing, we're already lacking something. And By the time we go to bed at at night, our minds are racing with a litany of what we didn't get done that day. We go to sleep burdened by those thoughts, wake up to that reverie of lack, this internal condition of scarcity. This mindset of scarcity lives at the very heart of our jealousies, our greed, our prejudice, and our arguments with life. A mindset of scarcity that says, I don't have enough, I need the next one in order to be content. Friends, we are caught in the vortex of never having enough if we're not careful about our thoughts. We live in a day when celebrities flaunt their abundance on social media and television. And if we never saw a mansion, if we never saw that lifestyle, the rich and famous, we would maybe be content with our three-bedroom home. Maybe here's a good time to remind us that the average churchgoer in the United States of America lives in the top 15% of the wealthiest people ever. Here's what I'm saying. Friends, don't confuse the source with the resource. God is the source, the provider. He's the one who gifts us what we need. The resource, those are the available goods that God uses to meet our needs. The bank account and the job and the inheritance and the gifts, those are resourced to us. But God is the source. So be grateful. Your Father in heaven knows what you need and is more than able to meet those needs. He can and he uses a variety of means to meet our needs so we can rest. But therein lies some of my personal struggle. I'd like tomorrow's provision today. Do you remember the Lord's Prayer? Give us today what? our daily bread. I want today, tomorrow's bread. And that's not how the prayer goes. God is faithful to meet our needs day by day. So God is not, listen, if you're here today and you're thinking, I don't know how I'm gonna pay next month's rent. Can I just remind us that God is not in a panic over your situation? God is not in a panic over your situation. He can meet that need. Trust him, trust him. Ask for the daily bread. So let's make it clear what I'm not saying here. I'm not saying that money doesn't matter. In fact, my second principle is this. Money is important, so be generous. Be grateful for how God supplies what we need, and be generous. See, here's the thing. Money is important, but not for the reason that we often assume it is. Money is important, but not for the normal reason. See, the significance of money is not merely to meet our needs, though that's true, but it's not to reveal our importance in the world. It's not to impress people or to confirm our public reputation. It's not to secure jealousy from an enemy of ours. Money is not meant to fill our deepest need. That is reserved for God. But money and wealth can be put into distribution to make a difference in other people's lives That's why, back to Proverbs chapter 11. Proverbs chapter 11. One of my favorite Proverbs says this. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Maybe in life right now you think, I just need some refreshment. Here is the antidote. Refresh other people and watch how God uses that opportunity to serve others to refresh you. See, money is important, but not so that I can gain it all, but that I might be able to bless others with it. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 17 adds this idea. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. Notice the payback these verses promise. Sow something, reap something. Galatians chapter six talks about that as well. Sow something and reap something. But not like the TV preachers who say, give money so that you can get money. It's more profound than that, actually. What is really going on here is that we give and bless others and God fills our cup with joy. And can I remind us that the the Lord is blessing us in such a way that not all the rewards are here on earth. There are heavenly rewards for our generosity. So we pay it forward to our heavenly account when we give to others. Author Randy Alcorn puts it wisely when he declares, God prospers us not to raise our standard of living, but to raise our standard of giving. God prospers us not to raise our standard of living, but to raise our standard of giving. And you wanna know what keeps us from giving to others? Again, author Randy Alcorn, he suggests That the greatest deterrent to giving is the illusion that earth is our home. See, our citizenship is in heaven. So we don't need to hoard. We can freely give, which is exactly what Jesus told us to do. In Acts chapter 20, verse 23, the It says this, in everything I did, Paul says, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. There's that sense of giving. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. God enriches our lives so that we can splash onto others with blessing. Here's another passage that declares this 2 Corinthians chapter 9, is a great passage for all of these themes. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 11, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Money is a gift from God. He gives it to us so that we can distribute it well, and in doing so, people give thanks to God. It comes back to him in praise. The next verse says it this way. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. There's that be grateful. Friends, we are to be conduits of God's blessing not containers of God's blessings. In a famous sermon preached by John Wesley, he gave this dictum for wealth management. Earn all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. Earn all you can, save all you can, Give all you can. Back in September, the Barner Research Group did a study on generosity in the church. What they discovered was that the most common source for learning generosity is children watching parents be generous. Wow, that's a big surprise, right? And you know, particularly... This research showed the generosity of mom. So parents, as you are generous, children are watching and they learn generosity in the home, which is similar to what we said last week. And all of this leaves me with some questions. Is there a place or a person for whom God is calling you to bless? Again, you want to donate a Ferrari to our family? No one's coming up. OK. I was waiting. I gave you the opportunity. Here's another question. Do you need to think differently about your finances and wealth to see them not as something to accumulate, but something to circulate? Not something to accumulate, but something to circulate? Another question. What could you do this week to bless someone? What could you do this week to meet another person's needs? Another question. Where does your soul need to be refreshed? Maybe by extending some generosity to another person or an organization in need. Because he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. So money is important. Be generous. Be generous. Last point. Money is not the most important. (laughs) Be content. Friends, Jesus indicates that money is often the greatest competition for our heart. Money is the greatest competition for our heart. Jesus said, you cannot serve God and money. And where your treasure is, that is exactly where your heart's gonna be. So follow the money. You wanna know what's important to you? Follow the money. How are we spending the money? How are we saving the money? How are we gifting the money? That is saying something. It's revealing something about our heart. Money is not the most important. Be content, Here's what the Proverbs says about that. Proverbs 23, verse four. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. (laughs) Do not trust your own cleverness. Do not wear yourself out to be rich. Hmm. It's an exit sign. Don't wear yourself out. There's this wisdom. This is a short saying based on long observation. There's wisdom here. Don't wear yourself out to be rich. It's a good caution for us. Dr. Sleeth has written a book called 246. It's on the Sabbath. In that book, this medical doctor, Dr. Sleeth, says that workloads in the United States have increased by 15% and leisure time has decreased by 30% in the last 35 years. Workloads have increased. Leisure time has decreased. God uses money or uses work to help provide for our needs. But don't wear yourself out getting rich. There are actually things that are more important than wealth. Here's another proverb that tells us that that money is not the most important thing. Proverbs 22, verse one, a good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. A good name is more important than riches. In fact, there are things that are more important than money. Now, I have said for many years, that the true American idol is money. And what is an idol anyway? I like what Tim Keller says. He says, an idol is usually a good thing that we make an ultimate thing. It's a good thing. Money is important, but don't make it the most important. And if we make it the most important, it becomes an idol to us. Let the good things like money stay as good things only. Money is important, but it's not the most important thing. So how do we handle money? How do we live with integrity and a good name and hope and love and contentment? How do we do that? Well, the book of philippians has one of the most popular verses in the entire bible you may have heard of the verse it's actually philippians chapter 4 verse 13 and many of you could quote chapter 4 verse 13 but almost nobody knows the context of verse 12 philippians chapter 4 verse 12 tells us about contentment, that money is not the most important thing for contentment. Here's the verse. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Philippi, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I know the secret, Paul says. Paul says, I've had abundant life, I've been in extreme deprivation, and in all of those situations, I know what it means to be content. But contentment is so elusive. The lure of money is so seductive. We think if we just could have a little bit more money, that would be the solution to contentment. But I want you to know that's not the answer that wealthy people give. Wealthy people understand this. How about John Mayer? Did anybody know John Mayer, the multi Grammy award winning songwriter and artist? Estimates are that he's worth $40 million. That'll get you a Ferrari and another guitar or two. He has a watch collection worth $10 million. John Mayer. And yet he sings in a song something's missing and I don't know what it is. say, well, John Mayer only has 40 million, that's not enough. Contentment must be farther out. How about the American comedian and actor Jim Carrey? His net worth is hard to nail down if you look on the internet, but it's around 150 million. I think that will get you there. But listen to what Jim Carrey says about wealth and contentment. He says this, quote, I really wish that people in America would be able to get everything they want because if Americans could get everything they really want, they would come to discover that those things are not the real answers. Wow. You know what I take away from that? Here's what I take away. It's possible to be materially, economically challenged and content. It's also possible to be materially, economically prosperous and miserable. Whatever contentment is, it's not found in money. So where is it found? Well, go back to the scriptures. Chapter 4 Philippians, verse 13. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I know the secret of being content. And here it is I can do all of these things through Christ, through Him who gives me strength. This has nothing to do with weightlifting. I've seen it used. Come on, Steph Curry, basketball player, puts on his shoes these words, I can do all things. I'm here to tell you, I love Steph Curry, but I want you to know if you leave that verse in that context only, I can do all things, that is a perversion of the verse. The verse is governed by the context which says, I can be content Because of Christ. This isn't about being a hulk and being able to remove a car to save somebody. That's not what the verse is. It's about being content in any situation. Because here's why. More than money, the people of God have Jesus. And Jesus is worth more than anything in this world. We can be content because we have the better thing than the world can offer. Money's important, but it's not the most important. In the 1300s BC, there was a king. You know him as King Tut. And in that time period in Egypt, it was believed that after you died, you could take things with you. So King Tut was buried with 5,398 items. Let me say the number again. 5,398 items were buried in the tomb with him, including slaves who died and were in the tomb with him. In that tomb, of course, were food and wine and sandals and archery and trumpets, and check it out, in that tomb was a fresh linen underwear for King Tut. It took 10, listen, it took 10 full years just to catalog all the items in his tomb. but you can't take it with you. We have found, 100 years ago, we have found all those items that were left there for the afterlife, we've got them now because you can't take it with you. In contrast to that, 100 years ago, a young man by the name of William Borden Comes from a wealthy family on his 16th birthday. They gifted him a trip around the world in which he he discovered a love and a burden for the world on behalf of Christ. He goes to Yale. Graduates from Yale. He's a millionaire by the age of 21. He gives away his wealth. He goes to Princeton Theological Seminary. He is bound and determined to go to China to minister to the Muslims. On his way to China, he dies a month after his twenty fifth birthday. The grave inscription on his tombstone says this quote Apart from Jesus Christ, there's no explanation for such a life. The back of his Bible he had six words written down. No reserves. No retreats, no regrets. Friends, we can choose to live like King Tut and save and accumulate all that we can, or we can circulate it. Live for Christ as William Borden did, with no reserves, no retreats, no regrets. Money is not the most important thing. Christians have the better thing in Christ. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for your words found throughout the pages of the Bible that remind us of the important things, that give us direction and guidance about how to handle possessions and provisions and wealth and blessings and money and Thank you for the wisdom. Now give us courage, God, to follow that wisdom, to live according to it, even when it's hard, even with our, when our eyes see beautiful, wonderful things and we think, oh, if I could just have the next one. Give us perspective that is heavenly perspective. And bless us now as we go into this world to be reminded that this world is not our home. We are citizens of heaven. May we live for our eternal home there and send things forward through our generosity. Help us to be that kind of people in our community. In the good name of Christ, we pray, amen and amen. Again, a reminder, there will be people here available to pray with you. God bless you. Have a wonderful and generous week.